welcome to HubShot's episode 127. We talk about content strategy, tool improvements, and many other exciting things. You're listening to APAC's number one HubSpot-focused podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, features, and strategies for growing your marketing results. We hope you enjoy this podcast as much as HubSpot CEO Brian Halligan does. Thanks for creating this podcast. It's awesome. I listen to it on the weekends and I really enjoy it. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found. And with me is my co-host, Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Really good, Ian. And boy, I know we often start the episodes by saying some local place we've eaten the food, right? But how good was that? Whatever it was, laksa-like noodle thing we had. That's today. right. It was fantastic. Oh, the chili yeah. was great. Yes, listeners, we record this pretty late. Oh well, not too late. It's about nine o'clock. We're coming up to now, so we spend the afternoon planning the episode, testing HubSpot features, and then we need to and uh, fuel ourselves. For that's the, right for the recording and hanging out at HubSpot for a little while. Yeah, speaking of HubSpot, who did you chat with today? We had a good chat with Charles. Hello, Charles. Charles McKay from uh, Sinks in Melbourne, uh, smart guy. And our favourites, Mads Maroon. And Nick Bayless. Nick Bayless. Again, we mentioned him on a show a couple of weeks ago. Always good to catch up with the team there. Now, Craig, we're trying new things. What have you got in store for our listeners? Look, I know we're late to this. I know. But we've got a YouTube channel now. Before you get excited and think, oh, wow. I wish I could see Craig, but you can't. (laughs) Never do that. We've just got an automated feed which takes our podcast audio and puts it into a YouTube channel. So all you see if you look at it is, you know, a cover art. So you don't go to view it. But if you prefer to listen to your podcast via YouTube, then this is a much more convenient way to do it. And this is pretty popular. There are tons of podcasts on YouTube. And I remember when I was first seeing this a year or two ago, I was thinking, this is ridiculous. Who's going to go to YouTube to listen to podcasts? Silliest idea I've heard in a long time. Well, it turns out lots of people, and that's why we're doing it. So we're going to test it. So I've got a link to our YouTube channel there. And I'm just interested, if you're a listener, could you please just pop over to the channel and subscribe if that's something that you do, like you hang out on YouTube, you've got the YouTube app on your phone. I'd just be really interested to see in numbers, really, who would subscribe to the podcast. If you actually want to get notified, of course, in the YouTube app, you can actually click the little bell and get notified of new episodes. They automatically appear there about 30 minutes after they appear on SoundCloud. So I'm really interested to see it and see if that provides value. And if it does, we'd love a comment and we'll, maybe we will do some real videos. You know, And if you want to channel. see a picture of Craig, just let us know too. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't, yeah, the response will be overwhelming. All right, on to HubSpot Marketing Feature of the Week, Craig. And this is to do with the content strategy tool. Now, this has changed considerably since we spoke about it a while back. I guess one thing that it's doing that we're seeing is it's better able to evaluate the content that's on the site and kind of put it around content topics or clusters that we say we want to target. So I think they call it a some sort of an audit, right? It's a very brief audit, but it's a good way to understand what content is there and how it would fit into a content cluster, essentially, right? Yeah. So what it does, it kind of scans the content on your site and pulls that in and creates some clusters for you automatically. Now, if you've already started using the content strategy tool, which I think many of our listeners would have already, you might say, how do I run it? Well, you can't if actually have topic clusters. So the kind of workaround is, well, you have to delete all the topic clusters that you've done already and and then it'll go through and automatically create new ones. And I'm like, well, I actually didn't want to delete them from my own portal. So I went into a client's portal. I only had one cluster set up and I checked with them and I was like, yep, can we run it? I'd like to see how it works. 
results better than I expected, I have to yes, say. It ran pleasantly across, surprised. Yeah, and also I'll mention these were, this was a HubSpot site, and in fact three HubSpot sites that we've got the tracking script on. It ran across the content on those WordPress sites and pulled in two of the main sites and created topic clusters from those, plus supporting content that it linked through to them because yeah. it's trying to, trying to create pillar pages, of course. I was quite impressed. Like, it's much better than I expected. So that's an improvement, but also it's pulling in the content from WordPress, which it originally wasn't. It was, if you remember way back when it was released, it was only looking at HubSpot hosted content. So um, thumbs up, give it a go. And I guess I would, the question is, well, if I've already created some topic clusters, should I delete them just to run this tool? That'll be up to you. But if you've only got a few in place and you haven't spent a lot of time with it, maybe you just tried it out. I'd delete them and, and run it across again because I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think one of the things it will highlight, so the ones that I've run it on to test this, because the clusters I thought I'd want to be targeting didn't have specific content related to that, it obviously tried to find what was closest to that. So when I was looking at what it came back with, I was like, mm, it's not really right. Mm. So that's, a, that's what will happen if you're obviously thinking, I want to target this, but really there's no content in your, on your website that targets this, then you'll get skewed results. Well, that, actually, that's a good insight, really, because you said, oh, our site, we're about A. Exactly. We ran the content tool, it's it gave right. us B. Oh, hang on. That's actually useful that's exactly to know right. that, yeah. yeah. And that's what I discovered with one of our customers. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's right. Just be aware that it doesn't solve all your problems. It will highlight quite a few things that are probably not right. So use that tool as a good way to get a start and to then form your content strategy to go forward with. All right, Craig, tell me about semantic. Oh, semantic. Oh, we're still on that. Oh, so we pulled that out. Like when you watch the video... If, if, before we run this tool, sorry, a bit of a bit of a diversion here, listeners. Before you run that content strategy tool, there's a little there's you, a video, little video where it says blah, 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 and, and what you're doing is creating semantic relationships between content, blah, blah. and we're like, okay, we kind of know what semantic means because we're from SEO backgrounds. Uh, anybody wonder, that lives in the, the real world, is what that the real world, <laughs> real customers. Then. So we've put a uh, just a link to um, Wiktionary about a semantic relationship, and so semantic relations are basically any relationship between two or more words based on the meaning of the words. And so where this fits into the content strategy pieces, you've got pillar pages, which might be around a topic, then you've got supporting branches or clusters that point back and they're semantically related. So there you go. That's word right. of the week. Anyway, so that's going to be our buzzword bingo word of the week, Craig. Right, there we go. All right. Onto the HubSpot gotcha of the week, Craig. Now... <laughs> I'm highlighting this. This is to do with the sales pricing of HubSpot, so the sales hub pricing between free, starter, and professional. And to be honest, I've been trying to sell this to some people. It was very easy when there was free and professional, and then they brought this middle tier in, which is starter. I've been getting questions about, you know, oh, can I do X if I don't have these licenses and can someone that doesn't have the license see what I'm doing? And I had to go back and go, hmm, let me go and check that out. And I just found it really hard to articulate. And then I bumped into some legal speak on the HubSpot website. If you go to legal.hubspot.com, there's a link in here where it basically actually laid out much better 
in terms of what was included in starter and professional didn't actually include free, which is, I think, a bit of a problem. But the way it was laid out was far easier to understand than it was on the pricing page. This is a great find. When you sent this through, I spent quite a while going through this page. It's really, really useful. It covers all the bits of service hub, marketing hub, sales hub, even services that they provide and Mm. everything that goes with it. So, yeah, you know, but you know who this page is for. This is not for our listeners, really. I don't think you know who this is for. This is for people at HubSpot (laughs) because I actually think half of them are confused around the sales piece. I agree. It's not communicated well on the site because it's really tricky. It is. I tricky. reckon you can ask me any question about the marketing hub. And you'll be able to Like get, what's yes. in Pro, Basic, um, Start and Enterprise. Yeah. I reckon I'd, I'd know that. Correct. No matter what. the, It's really clear delineation between feature sets, right? Sales hub, I'm just like, oh, so Starter, the, what is the difference between Starter and Pro? All oh, right. And some of it is limits on things, you know. That's and exactly then it's like, right. oh, well, I've got that feature, but only to this many people or this many attempts or this, you know, between. Yeah, and I'll, I'll highlight to that to you in our sales feature of the week. Right. Which is exactly that. There's this feature available in all three versions from Fee, Starter, Professional. It just varies the number of minutes you have yeah. included. So you're like, it's great, right? You get to understand and taste the product. And I guess yeah. that's the whole idea of this. Yeah. While still making headway. Which makes it really hard to sell because you just then have to know every detail to explain to somebody why we need to be on a particular well, it's further it's further complicated because you don't need to have everyone at the same level of the sales tool, right? That's exactly right. So whereas if you go marketing professional, well, that's account. Well, it's across the board. It's the account, right? Okay. Whereas sales pro versus sales, let's say free or yeah. Um, well, even there, I'm still confused about what you can and can't do because I know they've okay. got some limits on, you know, you've got to have this or you can't have that. So it is confusing. Um, and I think the sales hub side of things, I totally get it. HubSpot's got a really difficult job to articulate that. Marketing, no worries. And they've really they've really got it right with Service Hub, right? It's like Well, it's all, all or nothing. It's all or nothing, right? They've learned their but lesson. But in saying that, hmm. there are features in Service Hub that cross over with Sales Hub. Yes. And then again there you'd be like, well, do I need this or don't I need this? Or yes. should I not buy Sales Hub and buy Service Hub? Yes, exactly. And I think this is a really interesting conversation because as people that work alongside HubSpot and sell the product – and service the product even where struggling. Actually, I'll give you another one on the fly, like predictive lead scoring. Yes. This is part of sales professional, I think. Yes. I think. It's a part of, it is a part of sales professional. Sales professional, on right? The, on the uh, sales side. On the sales side. And I was like, Correct. oh, well, I need enterprise on marketing to get predictive lead scoring. Correct. But how about I don't go to enterprise on marketing and I'll just get one sales pro license, so although I don't think you, you can, can buy one. You can buy five. five right? yeah. I'm like, but even, even then I might get predict. That's got me confused. I'm like, well, hang on. It further um, dilutes the, the appeal of enterprise, by the way, on the marketing side, right? Why are we going on at length about this? Well, this is this is complicated. You know, I think this really is something yes. that HubSpot has been Mystery working thing. to improve. Yes. This link that you've provided with the actual sales pricing and limits yes. between them all, one long page spells it out, enormously helpful. Let's leave the confusion behind and on to our marketing tip of the week, Craig. And this is to do with email decay rates being less than, is that less than or greater than? Oh, that should be greater than. Greater than 20% a year. So we've spoken about this before. And if you've done the inbound training on HubSpot Academy, they talk about email decay. So understanding and keeping your database clean is really a key point. 
And, you know, like we've now got people, they have engagement rates in the system and don't send emails to unengaged contacts. So there are so many things in the system that measures deliverability and success of this. And I think this is really important. People forget this. They've got databases that they've never emailed, they've never stayed in contact with, that are different in different marketing databases. And this is happening over time. So what do we want to highlight from this? Well, one of them was a stat. So uh, we've got a link to a HubSpot article about database decay. And they link or they no, they reference a really widely cited stat, which is that Marketing Sherpa found that email lists decay at 2.1% per month, which they then said is annualized at 22.5% per year. So I'm not quite sure of how that works out at 2% per month, but I think that's it, assuming there's no growth at all. So, you know, 2.1% 2, 2. less of that and then yes. 2.1% of what was 100% less, two point, so it comes out at 22.5%. So it's kind of like over the course of a year, your list is down by more than 20%, assuming no growth. Now, I want to highlight two things. The first is this stat is cited from Marketing Sherpa. I can't find it on Marketing Sherpa. I spent about half an hour trying to track down this, like the original source of this stat, because it's it's quoted everywhere. They all refer to Marketing yes, Sherpa. Do, yes. And I'm like, well, where does this come from? I, I want the original yeah. source. Can't find it. Can't find it anywhere. Mm. So just mentioning to listeners, take this with a grain of salt um, because it may or may not be true. I don't know. And quite possibly it could be years old. However, the actual point of it, which is email list decay, I suspect is much higher. I suspect mm. it's more like 30 or 40% yes. a year because people change email addresses so often. As we know, the, the yep. job market is turning over much more quickly than it was in the past. The other thing to highlight about this is... Don't just worry about database decay, worry about attention as well. Because if you're, let's assume it's reducing by 20 to 30%, that's just natural churn. That's not even counting the people that don't bother reading your emails anymore because they're fatigued. Yes. And so we'll have clients chatting and we say, oh, we don't want to do an annual review. You know, what's engagement seems to be down on email. What's, What's wrong with our emails? Do we need to change the email template? And we're like, no, that's actual natural attrition combined with fatigue and also probably blast email blasting. Of course, it's going down. So why is this marketing tip of the week? I think this is a wake-up call. I just We want to highlight again, we've done it many times on the show, to marketing managers that you actually need to be, first of all, growing your list by at least you know 3 or 4% a month Correct. just yeah. to kind of combat that. Um, but on top of that, you need another 3 or 4% just to overcome loss of attention because they're fatigued. And on top of that, we always talk about relevance. <laughs> You know, so it's about making your content relevant. So it's getting harder and harder. Email is still effective, but you've got to put a lot of work into it. It's not just blast out the newsletter. Like I'll share with you some tips that I've tried. So when we do some email marketing, and I know these the people that open it. So what's really interesting is that one of our customers that gets our emails, he uses Outlook, he uses a, larger, a rather large preview pane so it always looks like he's unengaged or disengaged from the emails, right? Because he actually never opens it. He reads it in his preview pane right? and then just files it away. Right, but the preview pane, uh, uh, have they got images in it? No. Oh, so generally text, not. Generally right. not images. Right, so it's not even pulling in a pixel. That's right. Okay. So he's reading it and then 
filing away. So if I look at his uh, HubSpot profile, it would say that he's never actually opened an email. Right, right? okay. But he says he reads it every week that I, he gets it. Mm-hmm. So that's one. The other one that we tried with the customer was we sent a marketing email. We noticed quite a few people didn't open it. And then I sent a follow-up email in very plain text, really short, saying, hey, Craig, just making sure you got my last email. If you didn't, just let me know. And I got a really high response from that. And people even call, called our customer back and said, oh, I've been thinking about that. Let's talk next week. You right, know? okay. So that worked really well. Oh, you should grab get... that and put it on a growth hacking forum. <laughs> That's oh, right. Check out the new technique. Oh, yeah, anyway, sorry, guys. What I'm saying here is like, don't just think that if you haven't had that level of satisfaction that you were expecting, try something different with the people that have actually not even open the email. Yeah, that's a good and idea. See, see what and it was actually do. like a personal message that you've followed up. You've yeah, actually pretty much. shown, oh, I'm actually concerned about yeah, and making sure there's a good experience Correct. for you. Yeah. 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 So I just said, look, let's try this out. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised with the result. So it was good. Which takes us on to our HubSpot sales feature of the week, Craig. And we have never really spoken about this. This is the calling feature that was, it's in actually all versions of Sales Hub. And it varies, and I'll tell you how. When we started using Sales Hub, or what was previously known as, we tried using this, and obviously because this is a calling feature, it uses voice over IP, so it generally connects, and even when I tested it today, it connects via Boston, so you'll see. And it's quite interesting how it works. What I wanted to highlight was when it started, it was really flaky, right? So if I was to tell people why do you use it? I'd be like, don't use it. I think it's at a stage where it's actually good enough to use. It does, it still has a bit of a lag because it's traveling to Boston and back. So so just be mindful of that. The benefit of it is that obviously you can track the call, you can record the conversation, you can have it in your timeline, and it's an effective way of making sure everybody's on the same page. When you call, what was really interesting when you call is that you can obviously call using your, if you're using the app on your phone, you call and it says, do you want to use your cellular device to make the call or do you want to use the HubSpot calling service? If you use the HubSpot calling service, it will route via the gateway in Boston and then connect. And now while you're actually logged in, so let's say you're sitting there, you're at your laptop and you click, I want to call Craig. And you click call, what actually happens is the system makes a call to your handset, which which it knows belongs to you. So it'll make that call. It'll connect that while it's trying to connect to you. And then it connects the two calls together. So it kind of works in a very different way to how you would expect it to if you were naturally sitting there thinking, I just want to make a call. But this is whole process is taking place. Enables you to record. Now, one thing I did find out is that we started a conversation, right? We said, oh, well, let's record the conversation. And we started recording halfway through the conversation. But when we listened to the recording back, we actually found that it ended up recording all the conversation. So there's obviously some sort of cache or memory that it keeps so that if you forget and you go, oh, I wish I'd recorded that, it will most likely have recorded everything and then keep that in the timeline. So I think that's a really key thing. All right. Can I make two comments on that? Was there something else you're going to mention on that? Or Yes, I was. So the, it's available in all versions of HubSpot sales, or sales hub, should I say, on the free version. So this is even if you're just a purely CRM user, you get 15 minutes of calling per month per user that's in there. If you're on Starter, 
which is what it's called, <laughs> you get 500 minutes of calling per user per month. And if you're on Sales Professional, you get 2,000 minutes of calling per user per month. All right. So it's a great way to test it out. If you're even using CRM, try it out, configure it, test it out. All right. So I want to make a few comments on this. And one of them, you're, you, I didn't prepare you that I was going to say this, so I don't mean to ambush you on, on, on the last minute. <laughs> come on, Craig, you're going no, to ambush I'll come me. To that. I'll come to that second. The first one, though, is that recording piece where we're halfway through, then we started recording and I recorded the whole thing for playback. Nice feature. That was very handy. Pleasant surprise, which turned into oh, creepy suspicion for me. And I was like, hang on. And what I want to do is actually test this for longer. I keep a call going for yes, half an hour. correct. And see then record right at the end and yep. see how much they are caching. Or else if we can find out from HubSpot how much that is. Like if it's only a minute or two, mm. fair enough. Correct. But it's kind of like, you know, the Google Home and that where it's, it, it kind of listens. But I think it's only a 15-second window yes. that you can go back. I'd like to know what that window is on HubSpot. Because I think there are privacy concerns there. If I'm if I haven't said record, and I especially haven't sent it to the person that I'm calling, and yet HubSpot's recording it along the way, like something's getting stored along the way, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. So that goes to privacy. So that was my first comment. Yep. Did you want to reply to that? No. Yeah. So in saying that, mm. I think it's really important. And I know in Australia when we worked with our clients who've actually tried to implement this call recording for larger sales teams. Mm-hmm. What's really interesting is when we worked with the other providers, it's like in some states you have to tell someone, in other states you don't have to tell anybody. Right. So you actually have to know what the law says in each state to inform the person on the other end or don't inform the other person. Yeah, so when you say state, you're talking about American states. No, I'm talking about Australian states. In Australian states, every state. Yeah, right. Yeah. So did that change? Mm, no, no, I think oh. that's been the case for many years. Oh, let's double check that. Yeah, we should. Certainly my understanding is okay. anywhere in Australia, you have to inform you have them to that inform. you're going to record the call. Okay. Yeah, you have to ask for consent yeah. or yeah, notify. Okay, that was my first comment. The second comment where I'm going to slightly ambush you on you, I can't recommend this mm. because of the lag, right? And I think HubSpot need to fix that. It's probably fantastic in the U.S., but for Australia, I just think that's such a bad experience mm. to get that delay and that lag and that it would totally put me off. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think it's good enough for Australia. And I think that's easily fixed, right? Yeah, you just change the routing. Yeah. And if you think of, say, Zoom, which everyone uses for video conferencing now, if you think of Zoom, that there's no lags in that, right? Correct. Calling people, you know, certainly locally. So I think the lag needs to be fixed Correct. before we can use it yep. really um, efficiently in Australia. I think yes. it would just cause too much of a bad experience. So that's my comment on that. I think it'll get there because other it tools will. do it. So it surely will. HubSpot's yep. going to get that right soon. And I guess one thing I want to highlight from that is we had one of our customers that has sales professional licenses. And I saw a thing in their portal saying, come up in the notification saying, oh, your calling account will be disconnected from HubSpot in the next seven days because of inactivity. I'm like, Really? I've never seen that. And that's what prompted me to talk about this because they obviously don't use it because they obviously have a mobile workforce and they just haven't gotten to use this. So what I would say is in the interim, use the app to make the call, but don't make it through HubSpot. Use the HubSpot app to initiate the call because what you'll get is once that call is finished, it'll pop up the screen saying, you know, what comments you want to leave about the call. And then you can obviously type it in. I think that's a which really is actually, cool feature, yeah, yeah. Which is actually a great feature because it'll remind you not to just go, I spoke to them and I forgot to write down what I spoke to them about. And so I think that's a really good thing to do. So encourage sales teams of people that are using HubSpot to actually use the app 
to initiate the call. Craig, you had a bonus feature. Oh, just something I found in um, sales side of things that no, you need to have sales pro. Sales pro, yeah. But if you've got, if you do create quotes because you've got products. So on a deal, you add products and you create a quote. Now, we talked about that a few episodes ago. Um, you can export them out. And so you just go to your settings, sales, and then products and quotes, and then there's an export tab yeah. there that you can do it. I didn't, I wasn't aware of this, but uh, nice no. little export feature. It's good. All right. On to our opinion of the week, Craig. Influences and B2B marketing. Yeah. So just very quickly, I'll make this a lot shorter because I know that I can see we're turning this into a long episode. But um, I had Grow with HubSpot last week in Sydney. Not great event, by the way. Well done to all involved. Uh, I was chatting with uh, just someone I met there. We're chatting. And uh, he He'd been to the session on influencer marketing and he's in B2B and he said, oh, I don't really think influencer marketing applies to the B2B landscape. I was like, oh, okay, Uh, interesting comment. So I just thought I'd give a few pointers around influencer marketing for B2B because I think the misconception is people think influencer marketing equals celebrity on Instagram and that's kind of the sum total of influencer marketing. And, of course, that is very effective. Basically, we'll call B2C, right? But in B2B, here's just the simple way to get started thinking about it. You just want to influence people. But whereas in B2C and a celebrity might be creating awareness, so kind of top of the funnel, in the B2B side, it might just be something that you start at the bottom of the funnel when they're in decision phase. And that could just be as much as getting reviews. Because in a way, that is getting influenced by people. And then if you can get maybe some more well-known people in your industry to give you a review, it can basically just be a glorified testimonial. That's actually powerful. They don't have to do it on Instagram, of course. They can do it anywhere. I've often seen B2B companies just do videos where they get a high-profile customer that happens to be well-known in the industry talking about how it's helped their product. So it's just like a, a testimonial. That is influencer marketing at its simplest, really. Yes. And then it grows from there. And I guess one example we could use is even for our podcast. At the start of the podcast, we have Brian Halligan, CEO of HubSpot, talking about how he listens to the podcast. It's kind of influencer marketing in the most simplest way you could think of it as as being part of it. Anyway, I'll leave it there. Plenty more we could chat about in coming weeks about that whole topic, but uh, just, a, just a little thought piece there. All right, Craig. It's a new little segment that you've brought up, Emotion of the Week. This comes, uh, and this one is called Ochilism. Ochilism. And um, do you know what Ochilism is? The awareness of the smallness of your perspective. Isn't that a great, great word? Now, these are made-up words, and I thought that was great following my opinion of the week there. But found this via Twitter. I've got a link in Twitter. But this comes from... The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, which is a blog by John Koenig, and it's fantastic. And there's like 23 definitions here. They kind of made up words around bringing an emotion together. They're great. And ellipsism is another one, a sadness that you'll never be able to know how history will turn out. Isn't that a great, that is very great good. emotion? Anyway, nothing to do with marketing. Have a read. All right, our resource of the week, Craig, we have five years of Google ranking signals. From Bill Swosky, SEO by the Sea. Yeah, so he's been covering Google and Google patents for many years now. And this is a very comprehensive post where he just kind of reviews it. Worth a read. I'll say this has been shared on Twitter and social so much. I bet most people haven't read it because it's an enormously long post. Great reading. We'll just pull out one 
thing each week. And I'll just say the thing I like is how he talks about a Google ranking factor and then an action item. One that he spoke about was domain age. That's actually a ranking signal. So if you've got a long-standing blog, that actually contributes to your ranking rather than just, oh, it's brand new. So create evergreen content, build links to it, and over time, and that grows your authority. All right, on to our quote of the week, Craig. This is from Richard Koch. says, customers play ball not because of extremely low prices but also because IKEA offers them advantages and an experience that other retailers do not. Are there ways in which your firm or a new venture could offer customers advantages that would not cost you very much or would even increase profits? And this is from his book, How the Best Businesses in the World Succeed. Simplify. I'm reading this book at the moment. That's right. You're reading the book? When you came up with this quote, I was like, oh, that's a great quote. I'm reading that book. (laughs) Uh, And by the way, you put me onto this book. Yes, I did. That's a great recommendation. Thanks. So there you go. Have a think of that. And now we've got some uh, bonus things of the week from Backlinko. So we've got some SEO techniques. And I think we've spoken about that before. And we've also got from the HubSpot blog, The Psychology of Selling. Have a look at those two when you're not driving a car or running on the beach. And finally, we'd love you to take a picture of the podcast that you're listening to. Leave a comment, post it on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Tell us what you learned and what you loved. And we'd love you to leave us feedback on iTunes. That would be fantastic. When you say take a photo of the episode, it's like what? Take a screenshot. Screenshot on like on their phone or That's whatever. Right. Or it could be on the YouTube channel. There That's right. Absolutely. Any way that you want to take a picture and talk to us, we'll be happy to hear from you. Well, Craig, until next time. Catch you later, Ian. Thank you for listening to this episode of HubShots. For show notes, resources, HubSpot news, including practical strategies you can implement, visit us at hubshots.com.